0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Matt, how are you doing this lovely weekend evening?
1: You know, Lyndon, it is a three-day weekend today. so Labor uh, Day! Labor Day! For those of you not in the U.S., it means we finally get a holiday off, which, you know, apparently the rest of the world gets a lot of those, and we get, like, not that
0: yeah we're labor uh, laws for yeah for for every for every one of your 30 bank holidays that you guys get in Canada we get like one of these so
1: labor day Whoop! let us have it <laughs> yeah. so no i am fantastic um we just had a wonderful meal charcuterie and um some lamb chops that I made, which were delicious. Um, all in all, I'm in a fantastic mood, and we got to play a pretty fun section of Skyward Sword today. Uh, also, some not fun things about it that I know we're going to talk about. But well, we didn't play it today, but... Well, man. no, but, you know, this week, we we'll okay. get to talk yeah. about it, or no. whenever. You're right. So, uh, we get to talk about Zelda. Our belly is full of fancy meats, cheeses, lamb, red wine. We're drinking on some whiskey. Which, by the way, Lyndon, what are we drinking this uh, fine evening?
0: This would be the uh, this would be the Offerman Edition Lagavulin 11 Year Whiskey, distilled or sorry, not not distilled, aged in Guinness barrels.
1: Oh, it's delicious! It's like your classic peated Lagavulin with a hint, strong hint of that uh, Guinness chocolate coffee flavor. And that that
0: would be that would be Offerman, as in Nick Offerman of Parks and Recreation fame, who
1: is my personal favorite. Fictional TV character of all time.
0: Oh yeah, he's he's just wonderful. He, yeah, what a man.
1: What a man. All that to say, I'm fantastic, Lyndon. I'm ready to do some podcasting.
0: As am I. Let's see. I mean, obviously, we, uh, we we're going one more week without a guest here. We're going to start bringing uh, guests back onto the show here before too long. But for another week, it is just Matt and I. But uh, worry you guys not, we have some uh, some really swell people lined up here before too long. So going to get back into the swing with that pretty soon. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get into the meat of the episode, of course, we've got a little housekeeping to get out of the way. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. Of course, we do also have access to our bonus episodes on Apple Podcasts via our paid subscription tier. It is $3 a month, $30 a year. You gain access to all the bonus episodes that we produce. One more word about the Patreon. As I said before... Um, People who are subscribed to the Patreon are eligible to write in listener mail. Today, we do have a reader mail from Mark that we will be getting to at the end of the show. So, Mark, if you're listening, stick around. We we saw your question, and we will be getting around to it. So, All good stuff. Without further ado, Matt, let's talk about what we played this is the sacred realms rundown which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel today we're covering Link's.
1: nope <sighs> no we're no longer in Link's awakening linden it's uh i know you're still on daddy uh paternal paternity leave brain But yeah, let's no. uh let's get let's get on track
0: today we are covering skyward sword chapter two which includes the Faron woods and
1: skyview temple our first proper dungeon in this game Kind of exciting, right? It's super exciting. Although, you know, one of the classic arguments thats that we've talked about and that's been levied against Skyward Sword is that the entire game is one big dungeon. So, I mean, really, but it is our first dungeon with a boss. Well, and with like, you know. Items. Keys. And keys, and keys. A boss key. Yeah. Well, the boss, are, the boss keys are weird in this game. Well, but sure. Yeah. A,
0: bo- uh, a, a boss, boss. Puzzle uh, Tetris block. Oh, thingy. I love those things though. They're so, yeah. they're
1: kind of fun. I honestly I get a lot of enjoyment. Yeah, out of a
0: awesome. boss three dimensional puzzle. Regardless, <laughs> we'll get into all of that later. Part one of the plot, uh, part one of the Sacred Realms rundown is, of course, the plot recap as read by Matt. Matt, take it away. Happy
1: to do so. I'm back to be glad in the saddle.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know it was it was fun getting to do this for you last week. But I'm happy. I'm happy. That that can just be like a once in a blue moon fun thing that I do for myself. And then you just take the reins every other time. It's it's a <laughs> oh, good system.
1: Oh, it is a good system, especially because, you know, you do all the editing, which is a lot of work. And, you know, this is my time and in, time intensive contribution to uh, our podcast. Right. Most of the time I just get to have the fun job of get on here and give you crap for an hour and talk about Zelda. But this is this is my time investment yeah well so some, i'm happy to happy yeah, to do it some
0: seasons it's more of a time investment than others so
1: well that's for i mean Link's awakening was not much of a time investment but these plot recaps this one's i mean all of these are pretty much as long as the longest one we had in ocarina of time
0: yeah that sounds about right okay okay i'm, I'm gonna stop i'm gonna get out of your way and let you do it
1: all right <laughs> trepidation is flooding through our mind as we soar through the familiar skies of our home towards the mysterious green pillar of light no one in living memory has even attempted to break the cloud barrier that keeps skyloft separated from the surface world who knows what could be down there if anything is down there at all but zelda our dearest friend As our crimson loft wing approaches the light, we steel ourselves and gird our loins and jump. The wind rushes over us as we hustle towards the surface. Nope, hold on, we read that. The wind rushes over us as we hurtle towards the surface. Finally, breaking the cloud barrier, we see a vast expanse of green. Trees taller than anything we have ever seen in Skyloft. Grass, vines, foliage that defies explanation. It seems to go on for all eternity. We are hurtling directly towards a crater in the ground that looks like it was carved out of the earth in a spiral pattern. As the ground quickly approaches, we take the sailcloth in hand and use it to safely land on the fabled surface world for the first time in Skyloft's recorded history. Upon landing on the surface, Fee informs us that we are in a location known as the Sealed Grounds, and that we should proceed with caution, as there are likely monsters lurking about. And her warning proves only too accurate, as we are almost immediately accosted by carnivorous plants— Skyloft didn't have any beasties remotely like this. We quickly dispatch the hungry weeds and move on towards the temple-like structure ahead. As we approach the door of the temple, we see that there is some kind of magical seal holding the doors closed, and it is then that we feel the presence of an overwhelmingly evil aura at the bottom of the crater. Looking over the edge, we are plagued once again with the vision from our nightmare from a few nights ago, The same monstrous form coming out of the dark smoke and attempting to consume us. As the vision clears, we see the dark smoke growing in intensity below. Curious, we head down to the bottom of the crater to investigate. As we reach the obelisk below, a voice rings out from above telling us to unleash a skyward strike upon the obelisk. And as we do so, it glows brilliantly and the evil aura dissipates. Making our way back up to the temple, we find an old woman sitting serenely in front of an ancient door. She immediately knows that we are the child of fate, as she describes it, descended from the clouds, and that she has been waiting for many years to fulfill her purpose as our guide. She tells us that not long ago, the spirit maiden, who can only be Zelda, landed here a short time ago to begin her own quest. Our quest is parallel to hers, but must be taken on its own. Zelda went into Faron Woods to find her part, and we must follow. As we leave the sealed temple, we come across a group of red creatures that appear to be menacing a living boulder creature. Making quick work of the obvious thugs, we get some interesting information from our new friend, who calls himself Gorko the Goron, whatever that is. About the Loftwing statues, the Isle of the Goddess far up in the sky, and many other things that appear to have been passed down as fables in this strange land, much as fables of the surface world were passed down within Skyloft. But now it is time to move forward into the woods as the old woman advised. The woods are like nothing we have ever seen on Skyloft or the surrounding islands in the sky. But we don't have time to take in the scenery. Monsters abound, and Fee's sensors are telling us that Zelda has recently been through this monster infested area. As we follow Zelda's aura, we come across a trembling bush with two more red bokoblins menacing this seemingly innocent shrub. After dealing with the bokoblins, the shrub suddenly jumps up and speaks. Oddly enough, Fi tells us that Zelda's aura is emanating strongly from our new friend. However, the creature is extremely cowardly and runs from us almost immediately. Following the aura, we quickly track it down, and after some questions, confirm that Zelda did indeed come through here, hotly pursued by a pack of monsters. Maki, the Kikui, as he calls himself, tells us that we need to find the Kikui Elder to get more information on where Zelda went. After some brief exploration of this vast landscape, we find the gigantic Kikui Elder, and he asks us to find and save the rest of his people scattered throughout the forest in exchange for the information about Zelda. Using Fee's sensors, we explore the woods thoroughly and rescue the three missing Kikui. Returning to the Elder after our task is complete, he gifts us with a slingshot and tells us to head to the temple deep within the woods if we wish to find Zelda he warns us that great danger lies within but we are determined to find our friend using the handy new tool we head off and enter the temple grounds further in the deep woods the area leading up to the temple is indeed full of monsters in danger but we push through the danger chop up the monsters and make it to the other side of the ravine where the temple itself lies upon reaching the temple and entering the door we find ourselves in a dark deserted and obviously ancient structure Spider webs adorn almost every wall, and odd glowing mushrooms provide an eerie light to the tunnels that we must traverse. The temple, unfortunately, is not entirely abandoned as we encounter monster after monster as we dive deeper within. In addition to the monsters, there are traps, gigantic spiders, puzzles, and door guardians to contend with. But as we progress further into the dungeon, we come to an antechamber with a large structure shaped like a vase in the middle. As we enter the giant stone vase, the pile of roughly human-like bones springs to life. It advances to attack and defends itself simultaneously with its dual swords. However, we are a trained knight of Skyloft and defeat this undead enemy with ease. We are rewarded with an ancient device that can be controlled from afar known as the Beetle. Using our handy-dandy new tool, we leave the room of the undead monstrosity and head further into the temple in search of Zelda. The beetle is an utmost necessity to continue on as many of the switches to open doors are hidden from plain sight. But we progress nonetheless, and eventually come to a room with a giant chasm through the middle and a massive locked golden door on one side. This is obviously the entrance to the final room of the temple, and hopefully the final door between Zelda and us. The door does not open as we approach, and what looks like a keyhole that is extremely oddly shaped appears in the middle. Exploring the area, we find a golden statue that, with some manipulation, looks like could fit into the door. Sure enough, we use the golden statue and open the massive door to the room beyond. The room is dark, but someone is making an awful noise within. It sounds like someone is trying to break down a stone door. At the other end of this dark room, there stands an odd man with a wicked-looking sword. He is smashing the door with a terrible fury, producing the ruckus that we heard earlier. But the door is resistant to his blows and emits a blinding flash of light in response to each one. As we approach, he abruptly stops and turns to face us. The mysterious figure knows who we are and laments that the tornado he stirred up to capture Zelda did not destroy us in the process. And classic villain... Fashion, Jaharim, or Lord Jaharim, as he prefers.
0: Girahim. You're right.
1: And I, I talked myself into that while I was typing it. Mm. I just forgot. In classic villain fashion, him or Lord him as he prefers, monologues for us about how his plan to capture Zelda was thwarted by a loathsome servant of the goddess, and how he is tracking Zelda to try to capture her. We aren't about to stand here and let this self proclaimed demon lord capture Zelda so we draw the goddess sword to do battle and to protect our friend. Gerahim is more than happy to do battle by promising not to murder us, but just to beat us within an inch of our life. Well, let's see if his bite is as bad as his bark. Sure enough, Girahim is a dangerous foe. Using dark magic, quick strikes, teleportation, and telekinetic blades, he throws attack after attack at us. We have to use all our skill to avoid, block, parry, and redirect his blows. He blocks and swings and throws blades at us, but in the end, we land one too many hits on him for his comfort level. Ending the battle, he pauses, looks at the door, and laments that he can no longer sense Zelda's energy beyond. So our lesson for today is over. With a warning about not going easy on us next time, he snaps his fingers and departs via teleportation. We head to the door that Girahim was so intent on opening, and using a skyward strike, it opens easily for us. On the other side is a beautiful and peaceful spring of pure water with an open view to the blue sky above. Nothing in this place would indicate in any way that a demon lord was just attempting to break down the door to this sanctuary. Moving forward, we see the symbol of the goddess, and using the skyward strike upon it, Fee tells us that we have unlocked a message written in the language of the gods of old. From the edge of time I guide you the one chosen to carry out the goddess's mission. The spirit maiden that descended from the clouds must travel to two sacred places to purify her body. You stand in one of these places, Skyview Spring. The other is known as the Earth Spring. This second spring is hidden away deep within the scorched earth of Elden. The spirit maiden, ever mindful of the heavy task entrusted to her, has set out for this second sacred place. The Statue of Hylia then grants us the second tablet, the Ruby Tablet, and Fee tells us to head back to the statue in Skyloft to show the way forward. It seems that our quest may not be a short one after all, so back to the sky we go.
0: This has been the Plot Recap as read by Matt. Part 2, of course, of the Sacred Realms Rundown is our takes where we talk about this section of the game and the feelings that it made us feel. Matt... How does this section
1: of the game make
0: you feel? What are your what are your feelings?
1: I I have mixed feelings. So part of the section of this game annoys me, and other parts of this game of this section of the game excite me. For example, finding Kikwis is annoying, but fighting Girahim is not annoying annoy- me.
0: I think that one thing that is beyond doubt about this first section of the game is that it it establishes a rhythm for how discovering a new dungeon works for basically the rest of the game and that basically is always going to involve an what it what is <laughs> what is supposed to be an exploratory area but it really has more in common with dungeon functionality than anything else um and involves some kind of fetch quest or some kind of scavenger hunt or something. A little bit of dousing. And then once you get all that done, then you can actually get into the temple and play the dungeon in the way that we think of a dungeon being. Um, and, you know, sometimes like there will there will be instances of this in later parts of the game that don't annoy me quite as much. But uh, but I mean, yeah, you're right. It's basically impossible to to make an argument that. Breaking down and having to go find kikwis for the elder doesn't just completely slow the action of the game to like a, a screaming halt.
1: You know, I, I think I come back to something we've talked about on our last episode as well was the the Twitter thread that Max Nichols has going on about Skyward Sword, which is, in my opinion, overwhelmingly negative. And, and, and but some of the things that he says are are like very accurate about specifically this point and like the pacing in Skyward Sword sometimes can go from like like we just finished the section in Skyloft and we're like we're primed and ready to go on this quest to save Zelda we jump down into the sealed grounds and that whole section is honestly kind of maintaining that upbeat and the like oh man this has some stakes to it we're introducing um some Obviously ancient enemy that's going on and some weird dark aura stuff and like still all cool. But then as soon as we get into Farron Woods, it just like very abruptly goes. Find some living shrubs that are very annoying. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, uh,
0: look on the one hand, I do appreciate having a cast of colorful characters. Um, that are not link to fall back upon, because occasionally Zelda games, especially some of the older ones, you know, Ocarina of Time, and um, uh, and I actually, oh, well, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, Zelda games don't have this problem. They frequently have awesome side characters. So I'm gonna edit that part out. But I, I do really like having a colorful cast of side characters to kind of rely on. And in Skyward Sword, there are quite a few that just come uh, to the top of my mind. That stand out as being great examples of that. And the Kikwis really aren't that for me. Um, I I, I love Gorgo, the Goron.
1: Yeah, he's cool. He's like a a historian Goron. Like, not something you generally associate with Gorons in any other game is intelligence. Yeah. But this guy's obviously like a professor.
0: yeah. Um, I like uh the old the old woman in the sealed grounds. I don't think we know who she is at this point in the game yet. But. The
1: old one. No, we definitely don't. Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: Um but I like her character as well. Like there are lots of characters hanging around here that I like. It's just the Kikuis are kind of um, I think maybe supposed to be like the forebears of the Kokery and, the, and Koroks. the Koroks, Yeah. And I think I like them a lot less than I like either the Kokery yeah, or the Koroks. For
1: sure. I mean, they're like <sighs> they're annoyingly cowardly. They're like C3PO cowardly.
0: Yeah, that's actually that's a really good comparison.
1: Yeah. It's just like, okay, except for,
0: except for the elder who's got some uh, he, yeah, he's got some He's got big butt cheeks. He's got some stones. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I like I like the elder. I think he's yeah, he's, uh, he's a fun character, but um no, I mean the, the entire mission of the fair woods section before you actually gain access to the deep woods and thus to the temple is really completely based around having to find these kikwis. And, um, as an objective, that is not very exciting at all, but, uh, it does serve as a decent vehicle for like introducing you to some puzzle solving elements that are going to continue in the game. The further that you go along, I mean, yeah. Um,
1: It introduces you to dowsing it introduces you to swinging on vines which you haven't done before in this game Mm -hmm. it introduces you to tightrope walking which is prevalent in i think every dungeon yeah um like it it does do some things to help acclimate you to the control scheme and the way you move around the world but it's just it's so skyrim fetch questy that it's not I feel like I was just given a quest. I know you're not going to get this reference. Mm-hmm. It feels like I was just given a quest by someone in the companions guild to go like kill a wolf at a farm like 30 miles away and then walk back and get 10 gold. And it's not worth it.
0: Yeah, you're right. That means nothing to me.
1: One thing- other people will get it.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure many other people will get it. I, I just I'm one of those weirdos who's never played a whole lot of Skyrim. Um one thing that we do get kind of a lot of in this section is uh, a much more comprehensive introduction to combat than we got in mm-hmm. Skyloft. Mm-hmm. Because now, uh, obviously, we have the Goddess Sword. We traded we traded our dinky practice blade for the Goddess Sword. And uh, we run into several enemy types that are recurring throughout the entire campaign. Um, and, uh, of course, talking about Bokoblins and then also uh, Deku Babas. And each of those enemy types has a very specific, I mean, albeit simple, but still specific way that you have to approach a fight with that enemy using either the motion controls or the stick layouts to directionally control your sword. And so I think as kind of like a training wheels um, introduction to what combat is going to be like in the rest of this game, because obviously obviously that whole design mentality gets more complex the further on that we go here. It mostly just comes down to Bokoblin holds sword. One way you slash the other way. Deku Baba's mouth is open one way you slash the other way, but still, I mean, one of the, one of the main draws of this game on paper is that it has a completely evolved, uh, method of delivering combat in a Zelda game. And whether or not you think that this is, a standout example of combat in a Zelda game, I I'm going to proceed under the assumption that Matt and I both feel like, you know, it is, it is, it's good. So this is a very good introduction in how to get comfortable doing that. And I think it's successful. Uh, it's successful from that perspective.
1: I totally agree. And I think one thing that Skyward Sword does well that I don't think any other Zelda game does particularly well is make your general trash mobs like Deku Baba's and Bokoblin's semi-interesting to fight. Like, it's more than just walk up to Bokoblin, push B twice, and it's dead. It's more than walk up to the Deku Baba and smack it with your sword once. It takes some effort, not much, like hardly any, but... It's a level of interest that trash mobs have never had in Zelda.
0: I really like a lot of the characterization that these enemies have. The animation team who kind of rigged and, and animated all the expressions that these enemies have deserves a lot of praise. Because I think that the Bokoblins and the even the Deku Babas, like as you're fighting them, I mean, they're, they all have more personality than we're really used to these enemies having in a Zelda game. Um, the Bokoblins themselves... Um, I mean, they've, they're, like, they're all dressed up kind of piratey for one thing, which I think is kind of funny. But they they make these fun little noises and have these fun little. <laughs> ex- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have these fun little expressions while you're fighting them. If you like if you have a successful parry, you know, um, they have like a really stunned face, for instance. And, and anyway, I, I don't know. I think it's
1: <laughs> it, it's not like a huge thing, but it's nice. It's nice to have. No, it, it really is like it when they're menacing gorko the goron you're like ah these guys are dicks i want to go like beat him up and save my friend yeah so like i mean not my friend but this like stranger well he's our friend now he is our friend now after we save him
0: yeah uh speaking of gorko the goron we get our first introduction to one of the main uh, i guess non-essential collectible uh, quest lines in the entire game, which is the collection of goddess cubes via Gorgo the Goron. There are several in this area, and we kind of touched in our intro episode on how we feel that the sky is is a generally a dissatisfying place and the only The only thing it really serves to do is be a place where you have to go and find the chests that are unlocked by the goddess cubes you find on the surface. Um, And so now that we've actually kind of come across some of those, I want to get more of your thoughts on where you're at with goddess cubes in general. And do you think that they are a satisfying? um, I don't know, because Zelda games tend to have a lot of collectible things, right? Right. Uh, do you find Goddess Cubes
1: to be a satisfying iteration on that tradition? I actually do really like Goddess Cubes. One the thing that I the thing that I find most fulfilling about goddess cubes is sending them up from the surface to the sky, and then, you know, you have to go find them. It's it's not exactly a scavenger hunt, and it's not as easy as, say, gold sculpture collecting, where you just like pick it up and you take them all to a certain spot. Yeah. I, I find it I find it very satisfying, and also, you know, later in the game, they can be a little bit like, I don't really feel like getting more goddess cubes because so many of them have just, like, high amounts of rupees, and at some point in the game, you just don't need more rupees, right, so... Like later in the game, they become less satisfying as you need things less and less. Specifically, once you have the Hylian Shield, once you have the fully upgraded Master Sword, once you have upgraded like the bow and all of your other stuff, and you're just like, I don't really need anything. Like, do I really need to collect the next 15 goddess cubes to try to get the last four pieces of heart? Do I need that? No, probably not. But uh, all in all, especially early on in the game, I find the goddess cubes to, you know, push you to explore both Skyloft and the islands surrounding Skyloft. And um, they give you something kind of fun to look for. And it's always fun to me when I see a goddess cube somewhere and I'm like, how am I going to get there? That sounds like a, like, that's a fun puzzle for me to solve.
0: Yeah, I just wish that um, collecting the chest in the sky was as fun of an experience as what you're talking about right now. Because a lot of times, and this, this goes straight back into our main criticism of the sky, which is that a lot of the islands exist just to be um kind of i don't know they they exist just to have goddess cubes on or uh, goddess chests on them and most of the time there isn't even a particularly challenging bit of puzzle solving to get the chest you like it's just kind of there you yeah. know i think that this would have been an even more satisfying system if one the islands in the sky had been larger and more intricate and then you actually had to do a little bit of creative puzzle solving to get the chest when you go back up to find it. Um, But also if, if there had just been, I don't know, maybe even some like combat situations that you have to like fight enemies to get to a goddess chest that you've unlocked or something like that. You know what
1: I really think they could have done. I think they could have done something like a precursor to the shrine mechanic, but so you cut the raw amount of goddess cubes in half, you know, I think like four of them give you heart medallions or something where extra hearts will drop or like three of them give you rupee medallions like cut those down to just one heart medallion one rupee medallion one like you cut that stuff down you cut down anything that's less than 100 rupees because that's not impactful whatsoever like you cut the amount of goddess cubes basically in half and each goddess cube triggers something that's shrine-esque from breath of the wild and you go through that, whether it's a major combat gauntlet or it's just, you know, another puzzle solving thing like that. If they had made that one change to the sky, it would have made the sky dope. Yeah, 100 percent that I mean, that would have been a, a big improvement. But, you but know, alas,
0: they did not. <laughs> alas, we have what we have and uh, and it is fun for what it is. There is definitely a. There's definitely a nice feeling that comes along with unlocking a goddess cube and realizing that you're going to get something for that when you go back up to the sky. So, yeah, that's good. That is a good feeling. And I think it's good, um, you know. Also, a little
1: noise it makes is fun.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, in past Zelda games, it really is just you search for the chest, you find the chest, you open the chest, you're done. And here, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun little way to extend that process. So. I like it well enough. Um, Let's see. What else do we kind of have going on in this section here? Um, hmm. I I know that this is not technically the dungeon, but we do get a main game item in it in the slingshot. Do we do we want to talk about that here? Skyward Sword's version of the slingshot.
1: Skyward Sword's version of the slingshot is, I think, the best slingshot in any of the games, simply for the fact that there is such a huge gap between getting the slingshot and getting the bow.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point.
1: In any other Zelda game, you get the slingshot and like two or three levels later, you get the bow and then you never use the slingshot again. And um, and in Majora's Mask, you don't even get a slingshot. You just get the bow. So yeah, like it's one of those things, whereas like the, the slingshot takes the primary uh, position of power as your ranged projectile mm-hmm. in Skyward Sword until like the third to last level. It's like it's ridiculously long, how it takes how long it takes to get the bow and skyward sword. Um, so for that reason alone, I think it's the best slingshot you get in any Zelda game as an item itself. I am neither here nor there on it. It opens doors for me. And that's pretty much all I use it for.
0: <laughs> I do really appreciate uh, when we actually get into Skyview Temple and we'll talk about the temple itself more in a minute, but there's that encounter where you walk across the tightrope and the bokoblin comes towards you from the other side. And all you have to do is back up and just kind of plug him with the slingshot and he falls off.
1: <laughs> it falls in me. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the one time <laughs> you, you can actually use that to kill something Because yeah, every other time. Yeah, it just yeah. stuns everything.
0: Yeah. Um, let's talk about the actual aesthetic design of Faron woods, because I think that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean the, the bright and cheery, color palette that this entire game uses is definitely repeated here. This is a less, a far less moody woods area than we're used to getting in like, I don't know, your twilight princess or oh, for sure. Even, I mean, even like the lost woods in Ocarina of
1: time. Yeah. So, so think about the three main wooded areas that we see, um, in other comparable 3d games, Majora's mask. We have woodfall, which mm-hmm. is just haunted and creepy. Yeah. And then Kokiri forest is still, even even um, Kokiri Village is fairly dark paletted. It's like evergreens. It's very muted colors. Well, and by
0: the time you get to like the the Forest Temple, temple it's and, like yeah.
1: spoopy, straight spoopy. Yep. Uh, and then Twilight Princess is also straight spoopy the entire way. Um, then we think about things like Link's Awakening, where it's covered in fog and infested with enemies and it's also one of the darker areas of the map so i think it's a stark contrast for skyward swords forest area to be really kind of a cheery forest vibe like out of uh not red riding hood because she gets eaten in the forest (laughs) but yeah i mean you know what i mean like it's it's not exactly fairy tale but like it's happy fairy tale yeah yeah definitely definitely you know
0: um the music is excellent. I actually really bum, like bum, the
1: ferro.
0: You've yeah, I Definitely yeah, cool. I really really like the Farron Woods um theme. It's 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 good. I mean, again, all the music in this game is great, but I think that this score is very applicable to the area. It feels it's, right it's at 10, home. It's 10,000
1: times better than the Elden Volcano score.
0: Um,
1: you don't like the Elden Volcano score? If it, I I might be thinking of a different score. I mean, it's not like my favorite, but I like it well enough. I mean, We'll get to that next week. We'll get to that next week. I don't remember it well (laughs) enough to say that as confidently as I originally did, because now you're making me doubt myself. It might be a different track than I'm thinking.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fully acknowledge that. Anywho. So from an aesthetic perspective, I think that the Farron Woods is is good. I mean, it is just your look. We have done the forest section as the first thing in basically every Zelda game ever. And
1: this is just another instance of it. And it's fine you know yeah. it's like it's got your classic big tree in the middle it's got your classic you know woodland enemies the dagu babas bokoblins yeah these skis, these,
0: these are never the sections of a zelda game that really blow my skirt up the most the forest no. sections because they they typically all are very except game. for the
1: forest temple in ocarina of time but that's like the, the forest section leading up to the temple is never a mind-blowing experience nah not really no nah. not really
0: so okay i guess that's it's, all i have to say about that it's good
1: yeah, that's G-E-W-D. fine. G-E-W-D. Um, okay, let's get into
0: part three, which is the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. The dungeon this week is, of course, Skyview Temple, which is, uh, is I mean, really just kind of a deep forest, ancient structure, you know? I mean, it's mm-hmm. that, yeah. that, that's kind of its whole identity. And I want to separate this discussion into two parts. One is, is this dungeon... <sighs> Does it stand out in your memory as being one with a strong identity of its own? And two, is it a fun dungeon to play? Are the puzzles good? Is the combat good? Is the boss good? All of those kinds of things and of course the item. Let's start off by talking about the aesthetic impact of this dungeon. Like how does it does it stand out as being an interesting area?
1: I wouldn't say that it stands out, but as I'm playing it, I find it enjoyable. Like once I'm done with it, I don't think about it. But as I'm going through it, I'm like, "This is kind of cool. Like, it's good." That's kind of how I feel. As an as a dungeon environment,
0: it really doesn't do a whole lot for me. It is just kind of very generic, ancient structure vibes.
1: Yeah, know? for sure.
0: Like there are other um, there are other dungeons in this game that very that like they have a very clearly defined identity as being a even like a functional space i mean i think this was a part of max's twitter thread that you were mentioning where he says one of his favorite things in a zelda game is when a dungeon has a clearly defined function like it's it's a building or structure that is there for a specific reason in universe Like, like
1: like the spirit temple was there as a place of commune and worship in ocarina of time like they went to the desert colossus yeah and like Used it for that purpose,
0: sure. Or even just like the Laneru mining facility, which is a mine, yeah, for timestones. Yeah, or or the sand ship, which is a ship. You know, yeah, like-
1: and, or the shadow temple, which is the torture dungeon for the Sheikah tribe. Like yeah. yeah, yeah I was, mean, they, that was messed up. That was really messed up. So, but this doesn't feel like it has. So, so like when you come to the end of the temple, it's they're trying to couch the entire temple as being the four chamber anti chamber leading up to place for the Skyview Spring. But I feel like that's not feasible with for like what Skyview Spring is supposedly meant to be and do. Like if you have a that would be like saying the Vatican had like 12 chambers that you had to get through in order to get to um you know the, the place where the Pope does his sermon. I mean, I'm sure the Vatican has like a few chambers you have to get through. Well, yes, but they're not filled with enemies and traps and monsters. And I've been to the Vatican and it doesn't. You literally just walk in and it's like the big place where the Pope does a sermon on Sundays. Okay. Well, I trust you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, So um, it doesn't have a clear defined space. Um, It is very generic. The puzzles aren't bad, but they're not like stand out.
0: There's one there's one puzzle in this dungeon that always throws me for a loop and I I get hung up on it every single time. It's the one where. You're in kind of the second main area, and you've got you to, have to raise
1: the water level. Yeah, you got to. Raise, yes,
0: yes, you got to raise the water between rooms, and the rooms have spiders in them, and you've yes. got to go from one room to the next. There's like a middle room, and then two side rooms, and there are switches that you have to hit to raise the water. There's one that's underneath of the walkway in the middle room that I always miss. I always miss that stupid switch, and I get hung up for minutes just trying to figure out what, and then I remember because it's yes, like because
1: it's underneath. You have to go like underneath, and then you have to go around. Down to the left, and then up, and then pfft, yeah, no, it's a mess.
0: Yeah, Um, I do really enjoy the the large spiders. I don't know if they're gomas or not, but they're because they look. Let's we'll m- call them gomas. They look more regular spidery than gomas typically
1: do. But are they sculculous? No, they don't have skulls.
0: Until I find out what these guys are actually called, they shall henceforth be referred to as the Skyward Spooters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> can we call them Shelub?
0: We can sure call them the Skyward Spooters.
1: Oh. Spawn of Ungoliant, or I'm not a wizard.
0: All right, yeah. Then there's that.
1: Radagast, the brown. No, yeah, I got that. Oh, okay, okay. No, 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 I got it. I okay, just, I just, well, fine. Okay, Skyward just, Spooters is fine. We'll, we'll like stick mine, with, Skyward. Better. We'll stick with Skyward Spooters. Thank you. So um, I
0: think these are actually one of the most fun enemies Uh to fight against in an early Zelda dungeon that we've ever had. You <laughs> swing them around. Well, there's so many different ways that you can like fight them and beat them. I mean, obviously their, uh, their default state is that they're kind of on their web, but using your sword, you can cut the web and the web is like, you know, I mean, you see all the different little webs that are a part of it, and your sword cuts those individually. So you can slice this thing up like Frodo slicing through Shelob's web. And, ah, yeah. Thank I mean, you. Thank it, you. it's very much like that. Um, and then once which,
1: you, which by cut- the way, I want to say is a technological like, really cool thing that they were able to parse individual web strands out for you to cut
0: yeah super cool so the the vulnerable spot on these spiders is on their belly and so you've got several different ways that you can kill these guys if you can get around behind them on their web then you can just stab them through the web if you want you can cut them free from their web and then they're crawling towards you on the floor and you have to kind of swipe your sword up to turn them over and then you can do a fatal blow and kill them that way if they're hanging from a thread from the ceiling you can hit them and make them bounce side to side. And then you have to time it just right so that you poke their um, vulnerable spot on their belly with your sword. Uh, Of course, the big brain play there is when you realize that it's the hardest, like if you swing them side to side, it's the hardest to beat them. But if you can turn them around and then poke them with a straight on poke, and then they're just going, they're swinging like front to back instead of side to side, then they're easier to hit. It's just one of those things where it's like, it's an enemy encounter that would be impossible in a regular Zelda game without the directional sword controls that are in Skyward Sword and I do think that that is one of their biggest strength it uh, it gives you a lot of variation in the ways that you can tackle some of the enemies in this game and I think the spiders are a good example of that
1: I totally agree but I do think this highlights how difficult it is to accomplish a final blow using the stick control
0: yeah it's really tough like I actually it's very very hard I noticed about the time that I got to the last room of this temple, um, the big vase room, that I was not landing fatal blows with the button layout nearly as often as I should be. I was hitting like 50% of the time. Oh,
1: I was hitting less than that. And it
0: was really annoying. And so what I did was I left one spider alive and I just like kept like I was practicing on him. I was just I, I would keep turning him over and then practicing my fatal blow. And just trying to figure out what timing was required for me to do this. And I, I finally sort of got it. It's still the hardest thing to do so far that I've found in this game is that stupid fatal blow. But
1: yeah, I totally agree. Um, like the the various combos of um, whirlwind swings. So the side whirlwind swing and even the top whirlwind swing are very easy. Yeah. But like trying to get a final blow is just so hard.
0: Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Um. And yeah, the I mean, if if these spiders are on the floor, then they completely rely on you being able to do that to beat them. So that that is irritating. <coughs> and though.
1: there's only luckily there's only one spider in the entire dungeon that you have to final blow, and it's the one that's in the room where you have to cut the box down with the beetle, move it into position so you can do the um, circle movement for the three eyes that are guarding a key door. Right. Um. Which by the way, I do want to briefly touch on the key eyes, the the door guardians. Yeah, go for it. So the door guardians were potentially the most annoying non-combatant part of this dungeon for me in the Wii version of this game. Um, The original Wii version. They were obnoxious, trying to get Link to move his sword in a flawless circle fast enough and um, often enough to make them do their dizzy spin out was almost impossible on the Wii. In the button layout version of the Switch, it is laughably easy. Like you stand on the box or wherever you're supposed to stand, and just like twirl the right thumbstick three times, and vroom, 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 and the things dead. Yeah. So huge improvement there to an to an obnoxious non enemy encounter from the Wii version. It's
0: definitely far easier to pull off.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, tell me what you think about the mini boss, the big Stalfos guy. Um, I. So obviously the Stalfos becomes a normal enemy throughout the rest of the game. Like there's that one point where you fight like three of these things at the same time later in the game. Um, I love this enemy type. I love what they do with blocking multiple directions at once and and changing quickly. If you mess up one too many times, they smack you. Um, They hit hard. They have a decent amount of health. Um, I think they're fun enemies and I think they showcase the strength of Skyward Sword's combat system um to a much greater degree than you get from a normal bokoblin. Um, and and honestly, the skyward the um combat system of skyward sword is one of my favorite things about the game. So I really like these enemies.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I like them as well. I think, again, the design of them is just really fun. Like, the art team had such a good time designing the enemies in this game, and you can absolutely tell. Um, this Stalfos has got a lot more cartoonish personality, like, as especially as opposed to, like, the Ocarina of Time Stalfos, which were kind of freaking scary, you know? Like, um, I mean, these guys uh, have a very different feel to them, and I, I like it. I think they're fun. Um, you know what I really want to talk about now, Matt? Is the Oh, do tell me. It's the item we get in this dungeon, which is one of the more unique dungeon items that we've ever had in a Zelda game. I don't think we've had anything quite like it before or since, and that is, of course, the beetle.
1: I can't think of anything that even comes close to the, to the beetle in another Zelda game. Um,
0: it's a boomerang on steroids.
1: I mean, it really is. I mean, other than the fact that it doesn't really damage enemies, it still only um, stuns them if you hit them. But... Um, I, I love the beetle. It is one of the more useful tools, even throughout the rest of the game, hitting switches or um, crystals or other things that, you know, you can't see that are hidden behind walls that you can't get a clean shot on with your slingshot. Um, even just investigating areas or trying to pick up items that are far away. Like, man, there's that piece of heart over there. That I really don't feel like trying to figure out how to bomb my way over and knock down some shit. So I'm just going to use the beetle once it's fully upgraded, fly on over there. Although the beetle mm-hmm. can't pick up pieces of heart and only pick up rupees. But you get the point. Like, it can't pick up pieces of heart? It cannot pick up pieces of heart, now.
0: Whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa. Sorry. Are you saying it can't pick up heart containers or it can't pick up like... One quarter pieces of heart.
1: One quarter pieces of heart. Okay,
0: gotcha. Cool. I was like, it can, (laughs) no, no, no.
1: One one quarter piece heart container. Yeah, yeah, Okay, gotcha. Um, Yeah. So, you know, there, I, I think the beetle is one of the more useful items that you get in Skyward Sword and is probably the most unique Item I can think of in a 3D Zelda game that like adds a different level of puzzle solving that you
0: think about. Sure. And it adds layers of, of what you kind of can get away with in terms of dungeon layout, too, because if you now have to think about like, is there something that I have to fly the beetle up to to progress? yeah. Then it really opens up a lot of like there's a lot of corridors in the walls of the final base room once you get the beetle that you can like fly it into and there's rupees and stuff and there's switches that you have to open to progress further. And I don't know, I just think um, it's a really good way of being able to utilize more vertical space within the dungeon um, instead of just what we're used to doing, which is like, you know, it's either on the ground or it's something that we can hit with a shot with a with a slingshot or a bow, you know?
1: Well, and it's, it's vertical space and it's non-visible space, right? Like there are certain parts of Skyward Sword Dungeons where you're looking around all over the place and you don't see what you're supposed to be doing or where you're supposed to be going, the, the crystal you're supposed to hit. And and then you use the beetle and you find this, you know, tiny hole somewhere that you can fly through. Normally it's chock full of rupees and then, you know, you get all the rupees and you hit the switch and it's very satisfying. So I, I generally find the beetle to be a satisfying piece of puzzle solving. Yep, Absolutely. So I mean, overall, do we think that
0: the Beetle is uh, one of the better Zelda dungeon items? I mean, it's it's unique, it's usable for the rest of the game, and it is fun to operate. I mean, what what other criteria do we need to satisfy here?
1: Honestly, I think I would put the Beetle top ten Zelda dungeon items for sure. Like of the of the Zelda dungeon items I have used. I would say the Beatles top 10. Yeah, well, and, and I mean,
0: again, I can't stress this enough. We get so many cool dungeon items in Zelda games that never get used again outside of the dungeon. And we use right. the beetle for the rest of the game.
1: Yeah, and like as much as I would love to say the Fire Rod and Link's Awakening would be like top five. You use that thing literally one time and like never again. So so the beetle is not only unique, it um, has cool functionality. It's fun to use, and it also is usable the entire game.
0: I will just say, and here we're about to get into discussion of this dungeons boss, which I'd spoiler to gear him. Um, I do wish that there was a dungeon boss that required us to use the beetle as a part of defeating the boss. That just sounds like it could be so fun and frantic to have to pull off.
1: you know well, that's that's the reason I think it isn't is because the beetle, while flying it, link is still vulnerable to damage. So how would you design a a dungeon boss? That would utilize the beetle that wasn't too slow paced. So like I I see where you're coming from and I get how that would be a desire, but I also don't see how that would be a feasible technological achievement.
0: No, it'd be super easy. Imagine that there's a boss where you're fighting it and you get it into like a you get it into its damage phase. And in order to do that, I mean, just I'm, I'm spitballing here, but imagine it's like a fire boss and you get it to its damage phase where it's vulnerable. You've cracked its outer rock shell and it's lava on the inside. Link will be burned by being in the arena with this dude. Once that happens, so there's a room, a safe room that you can get into during the boss fight, and it's got bombs like or it's got a hole it's got, like, a window in the safe room. And while the boss is in its damage phase, you have to pilot the beetle out and pick up a bomb and drop it on the boss while it's in And then if you don't do it in time, then you get damaged. Like, that's a fun-sounding mechanic.
1: You're basically describing the Elden Volcano boss fight with using the beetle instead of throwing the bomb manually.
0: Yeah. Well, in my head, I was more describing something that might happen in, like, a Destiny raid, but... <laughs>
1: I mean, fair enough. Uh, I mean, that does that does sound fun. Um, Kind of hard to pull off with the timing. And also the fact that, I mean, yeah, I it could. It, you know what? I will concede. That sounds like a fun boss fight. Cool. Thank you. Fun to have.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, let's go ahead and transition into talking about this dungeon's boss fight, which is, of course, our first encounter with Girahim, and he prefers Lord Girahim. Lord Girahim. But he's not fussy. Yeah. He's uh, sure. Sure, he's not. Of course not. We can trust him, right? Um, Look, this is a fun fight, and this is, I think, supposed to be kind of like a series of showcase battles throughout the course of this game, which really. Um, which use the sword controls, the sword motion controls in their purest possible form. I think that's the intention behind the him fights. And I think that in that they are a success. I do not enjoy these fights as much as I think other people do. I, I typically hear people talk about the him fights and and they seem like they had a really good time with them. And I've always found them sort of frustrating. Um, maybe it's just like the 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 flow and the vibe of the fights. They're they're typically pretty laxadaisical. Like it's a lot of slow circling of Girahim, and, and it lacks a lot of that frantic quality that you usually get from a Zelda boss fight. But more than that, I feel like I always spend a lot of time being frustrated trying to figure out how to damage him. Like I know the way that it's supposed to work. Like he. He kind of he telegraphs which way he's blocking and you have to hit him from another direction, you know. But I feel like I'm never able to do that as easily as the game seems to think that I should be. I don't know.
1: So the only part of the gear him fights that I find annoying is the very beginning where he will catch your blade. He doesn't try to damage you in any way. The entire point of the first phase of this gear him fight is just trying to hit him without him catching your sword between his fingers. And that phase always annoys the hell out of me because I just like don't know how to do it right. Apparently I just kind of flail randomly eventually hit him enough. And then we move into the rest of the fight, which I find very enjoyable, fun and, and, and not too difficult in this first phase. Um, to your point about him telegraphing which way he's blocking. I like that. I never really have a problem with it. It was only recently that I discovered when he charges you. So he'll go into the anime run phase where he's got his sword held in the reverse Sheen grip. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to smack you with it. Right. Um, Which for those of you who are not Star Wars nerds, reverse Sheen grip means that he's holding the sword with the blade um, held out parallel, but it's going away from his body, not across his body. That's a reverse Sheen grip. So for those of you not Star Wars nerd, this is how Ahsoka Tano holds her lightsabers. Just yeah, it Google is. Google it. Our queen, queen Ahsoka. So um, when he's doing his reverse shin grip and he, Naruto runs at you and tries to hit you, you do a perfect time block and it will stun him. And then you smack him a whole bunch of times. Like once I've figured out that that's what you're supposed to do in that section of the game, instead of avoiding that um, chopping block or that chopping move, then that made this fight so much easier. And then progressing on from that, when he starts throwing the telekinetic little daggers at you, which very, that's a very Kreia move from Nightfield Republic 2. Right. um, Which I appreciate. Um... That's the, I figured out that you're supposed to swipe your sword and the direction that they're flying at you. So if you're shooting them vertically, you swipe vertically up or down and it actually redirects the blades back at him and does damage.
0: Yeah, like and that is one thing that I do like about this fight is that there are a lot of ways to damage him that you kind of have to discover for yourself. You have to do a little bit of creative problem solving, you know, um, for sure. And I like that. You know, it's it's good uh, for a lot of the a, a lot of the criticism this game gets is that it really holds your hand through a lot of things that you would be better off just figuring out yourself would be more fun to figure out yourself. And that is true. And that is completely valid. But in these in these sorts of fights with Girahim, I think it's nice that it you, at no point do you have fee saying like, hey, deflect those little bolts in that specific direct. I, like, I
1: think I think boss fights in general are very good in that way, in Skyward Sword. Like, there's a lot of hand-holding for the puzzle solving. Like, even within the dungeon itself, there are multiple places where you can go and read like a plaque that tells you exactly what to do next, and it's so annoying. But boss fights in Skyward Sword are very much not that way. You have to figure out the mechanics. And it pushes you, especially because they're the motion mechanics. And even when you're using stick, uh, the stick layout, stick and button, it's still very different than any other Zelda game you've ever played. So it does require you to think more critically and more creatively than most of their Zelda games.
0: Yeah, definitely. What do you think of Girahim as a character?
1: Man, he is... (laughs) um, He is the most interesting character ever. There's so much, like, weird sexual energy going on there and just, like, very odd. Um, I find him to be... A compelling and interesting villain.
0: Well, he's like an evil, chaotic David Bowie kind of.
1: That is a super freaking fantastic way to describe that. I never thought about it, but now I can't get it out of my head. Yeah, he's got like Um, Ziggy
0: Stardust's evil twin brother vibes. Oh,
1: absolutely. The whole thing where he like sneaks up behind Link and like whispers in his ear. And what can I can only assume is like the most seductively sexual evil way possible and then he like does the tongue thing. Like, blah, 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 blah. Well,
0: the tongue like, the, the tongue thing obviously is like everyone's favorite gift to use from this game.
1: Oh, like, for sure, <laughs> it's iconic. <laughs> it's
0: almost actually. I take that back. I think everyone's favorite is the one where Link is kind of looking like
1: mm. yeah, yeah, it's derpy. like yeah.
0: Link's big derp face. But this is, <laughs> this is number two. But um, no, look, I think that. Uh, um, I, I like gear him a lot as a character. I think he's got a lot of personality and he's fun to watch when he's on screen. Um, man, we need to quit referencing Max's Twitter thread, but it's just so good. Well, so. because
1: it's the, it's really the exact opposite of everything we're coming. We're with everything that we feel about the game. Yes. Like Max's is, is on there just like dogging Skyward Sword, which like no, to no, be no, fair.
0: No, okay. No, 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 I, I, I need to jump in on Max's behalf here because I think You've got a little bit of recency bias going on. Um, Obviously, I think Max kind of came down on the later stages of the game in a, a pretty negative place. Overall, but um, if you go back and you read through the entire thread, I think that uh, there were a lot of instances in the beginning slash middle of the game where he found himself to be pretty, yeah, I, I mean, kind of surprised and delighted by how much of a good time that he was having, like stuff that he had forgotten and was like, oh, this is actually, this is good. I'm having a fun time doing this or whatever. So I, I would say that um, in the last few days, it's definitely been, you know, kind of, he seems like he's not enjoying it quite as much, but uh, I think overall it's it's been kind of a, a mixed bag at the worst.
1: Well, so I, my point there was not to not to rag on Max. My my point there was to say that um, there are a lot of things that a lot of people don't enjoy about this game, and there are a lot of things that like I, I understand people not enjoying, and there are some things that I really don't. And and like one of the one of the things that I do agree with Max on is that. And I don't want to put too many spoilers out there, but Girahim is a really great villain that becomes he's utilized very well throughout the game until the very, very end. And he does get the Max calls it the Zant treatment a little bit. And, And like, I do kind of agree with that. It's hard to because I love demise as an enemy, but geraham does get a little bit of the zant treatment at the at the end of the day yeah i i, I agree with that and obviously
0: if none of that made sense to you then um <laughs> we'll, we'll catch up with you in like the last episode or two of this season and it'll make more sense then but yeah it's a very fair criticism um but you know if nothing else he's fun to watch he's well scripted and
1: i don't know he's a good he is a good villain with a lot of personality but he does suffer from something you mentioned last week that skyward sword in general suffers from and that I noticed a lot more this week was the things that they say, they take twice as long to say as they really need to. Like you could have cut out 30% of Jaharim's, Girahim's monologue, um, and it would have conveyed the exact same gravitas, the exact same character of a moment, blah, 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 blah. Or even, you know.
0: Or even if voice acting, again, we said this last week, if voice acting had come to Zelda in this game instead of in Breath of the Wild, like if, if it had been done for the first time here, I think that you could have had gear saying all the things that he says, but like through faster. The, yeah. Via voice acting, it would have been a lot less of a slog oh, to get through.
1: And this will be another thing that means nothing to you because you didn't play Skyrim. I envision Gearham having a very Cicero esque voice from uh, Skyward so, or from um, Skyrim. Like, man, that crazy um, jester vibe the murderous gesture vibe that Cicero brings off. Many of our listeners who have played Skyrim, who did the Dark Brotherhood uh, quest line, you will know exactly what I mean. Please, every time Girahim speaks, imagine him speaking with Cicero's voice. I think you will be delighted.
0: Cool. Cool, cool. All right. um, That is going to take us out of part three, which is the dungeon map. Let's get into part four, where we talk side quests. Matt, did you do any side questy business this week?
1: I don't think there are any side quests in this portion of the game.
0: I, I branched off of the beaten path and got one or two things done. So Oh,
1: well, please do tell me because I don't know what they are.
0: Well, the biggest thing was as soon as I got the slingshot, I went back up to Skyloft and snagged the bug net from Beetle. Oh, Because I was so freaking sick of like running across bugs that I knew I was going to need for things later in the game and not having the net. So I was like, okay. Screw this. I'm going to go get the bug net. That's such a good idea. Yeah. So I went, I went back up, got that, and then came back down. It ended up being a great idea because once you get the slingshot, then you end up going into the deep woods. And once you're there, you've you got. You can catch all the. the like the, you've got the, the hornets. Wasp, the yeah. wasp larva. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you can catch all the hornets. You can get like. 10 per nest that you knock down um, I mean there's like butterflies and mantis I mean there's all kinds of stuff that you can get as soon as you have that which is very so. useful
1: for upgrading items later in the game for those of you who are joining us for your first time go get the bug net from beetle go back to the fair woods and catch a lot of bugs because you will upgrade items later in the game
0: yep it's very handy so I did that and then
1: actually the bugs are used for potions but still same thing
0: yeah yeah so I did that and then what else um There was one other thing. Oh, I uh, I I found one of the goddess cube chests up in the sky after I had
1: uh, activated the first one. Very nice. What happened to it? What what did it have in it? Uh, I
0: think it was a heart medallion. It was one of them. It was either heart rupees or bugs. I forget.
1: I find those completely to be completely useless items.
0: It was the it was the chest that's on the pumpkin island. Whatever is in that one,
1: yeah, I don't remember. There's a, there's actually a couple on that one, but I don't I don't remember what's in it. Okay. Um, I find quick side note. I find those medallions in normal mode to be completely useless. I never ever have one equipped unless it's like unless I just have the pouch fully upgraded and I just have some spare room. Like once I have the Hylian shield cool. and don't need multiple shields. Yeah,
0: no, me. I mean, yeah, it's, it's fair. But anyway, yeah, I mean, we'll have more to talk about starting next week in terms of side quests, like as we start discovering things on Skyloft and, and elsewhere. Battery. But... <laughs> battery. Yeah, so, um, okay, well, I mean, are we good to move on to part five then? I'm good to move on to part five. Part five, of course, is Z-targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happened across. And I want to start off here. um. And uh, I mean, quick disclaimer, I'm completely breaking the rules of this segment. Um, Lyndon's breaking his own rules. I am. They're my rules, and I am breaking them. Um, I am featuring not a character or enemy. Instead, I'd like to feature a location. I love the Skyview spring so much. And I, mm-hmm. and I especially love going back here in this game after having played breath of the wild so often because, right. Yes. Because, uh, if you haven't played breath of the wild, or even if you have played breath, of you the wild, can find all those. Springs. Yeah. All of the, the, so the springs that you go to in this game are actually locations in breath of the wild as well. Like they're broken down and ruined because breath of the wild takes place thousands and thousands of years after this does, but they're still there. um, and they have their exact same kind of layout and location and whatnot as they do in Skyward Sword, which I think is really cool. Zelda very rarely does that kind of connective tissue like you you get a lot of, um, for instance, like the Temple of Time goes between a lot of games like you have some places that sort of do that, but it is very rare to have a location that is completely the same in terms and the, of layout the layout as, is
1: the layout is literally the same like people have overlaid the map from skyward sword onto the farin woods spring and the Elden spring um in in breath of the wild and they are exactly the same
0: yeah no it's great and uh so it's, it's really fun to get to here i really love the environment design here especially after going f- um, from a boss fight you know usually in zelda games when you beat a boss You pick up a heart and then get warped somewhere else. I really appreciate going to this spring, which is just kind of a nice, relaxing and beautiful feeling place. Like, I wish I had the Skyview spring in my backyard. I'd be in there all the time.
1: I mean, we can we can do that. You want to do a landscaping project?
0: (laughs) Sure. Why not? I feel like you need an actual spring to start off with, but whatever.
1: Well, yeah, maybe we can make do okay can we it's no it's just we a, really we can't we live in texas the water will evaporate immediately i
0: was gonna say it's just a pit if you don't have the spring <laughs> it's the skyview pit <laughs>
1: no that's no fun
0: okay i mean i like where your head was at <laughs> <laughs> oh man um yeah yeah something to uh consider for the future but but anyway yeah so i just uh, yeah, my Z targeting for this week is a location I really like: the Skyview Spring.
1: Mm, totally fair, love it. Uh, I will accept the breaking of the rules in Thank this instance.
0: You who gets your Z targeting?
1: Gorko the Goron. I so Gorko is the only Goron we encounter in the entire uh, game, Skyward Sword. Um, and he is the antithesis of every other Goron we've ever met in any Zelda game. He is intelligent, he is interested in history, and he gives us some really cool information and parallels to the things that we learned in Skyloft. Basically, what we discover through Gorka the Goron is that the surface world has their own fables about humanity, to Hylians who, who become Hylians later in life, um, and the Skyloft and everything that happened in the war, uh, that you know resulted in the creation of Skyloft. We learn all of that through this very interesting, um, professor of archaeology, Indiana Jones esque, uh, Goron. And so I appreciate him and him showing us those parallels and being just a generally interesting person.
0: Yep. Yep, I like that. Gorko, Gorko the studious Goron. He's a he's a lot of fun. Uh, good pick. Definitely a good pick. Okay, uh, let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts. Matt, you want to wrap this up for us?
1: Mm-hmm. Let me gather my thoughts. <clears throat> it's going to have to be longer than two sentences in these sections of game. That's okay. Okay. The section of game that we just played through um, starts off very strong off of the heels of an emotional conclusion to our intro section, landing in the sealed grounds, um, feeling the weight of the evil aura that is at the bottom of the crater, talking to the old one and seeing um, what the sealed temple and the sealed grounds themselves have to offer um, is very impactful That leads into a poorly paced section of game with a very boring uh, fetch quest esque uh, mechanic, um, but leads into an overall satisfying temple Um, with two good items in this section of the game. we, We expand our capability of exploration and combat greatly. We learn a lot of very important things about combat and exploration, and we end in a location that sets the tone for uh, the gravitas of the story for the rest of the game.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. Well done, Matt.
1: Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I do my best to collect (laughs) my thoughts and then um, regurgitate them in a um, scholarly fashion.
0: Cool. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Okie dokie. That has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will, of course, be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, talking about Chapter 3 of Skyward Sword, which is, of course, Elden Volcano and the Earth Temple. Let's get into the final stages of this here podcast, Matt. Of course, I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, if you have a question or an observation— or if you ever want to tell us how wrong you think we actually are, you can head over to Patreon.com slash Sacred Realms Pod, uh, where Kokiri Sword patrons and above can write into the show. This week, we got a listener mail from Mark, who has this question for us. And I had it pulled up. I exited out of it. Hold on. One second. Do, 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 do do. Got it. Dang it. Mark says... Here's one for the mailbag, guys. I've never played Majora's Mask, even though I grew up with Ocarina of Time. Which version would you recommend playing, the N64 or the 3DS? And this was a very – yeah, this is a very applicable question, especially because um, as some of you have seen on my social channels, and especially if you're in the Patreon, you've probably seen this – I was able to release a new print this past week as part of the AMP JamCon, and uh, that print is, of course, a tribute to one of my favorite Zelda games of all time, Majora's Mask. So this question is super timely. Also, if you are interested in that at all, go over to my own personal uh, Instagram account. That's at Willow Stration. And yeah, go check that print out. And if you like it, go buy it. So... That's my little plug for myself there. Anywho, back to Mark's question, which version would you recommend playing, the N64 or the 3DS? I was actually so interested in this question because I think Matt and I are going to have different answers for it. I think we are. Matt, which version should Mark play?
1: If you have the capability and you are capable of moving past the graphics, I would recommend the Nintendo 64 version. There are a lot of changes that were made in the 3DS version that technologically I understand um but annoy the hell out of me. Um specifically the way that you damage thr- all four of the main bosses in Majora's Mask I genuinely hate in the 3DS version. Um I found the boss fights in the Nintendo 64 version to be superior in every possible way. And um the Zora Link movement in Majora's Mask is a billion times better in Nintendo 64. Honestly, it was a little broken, which is why they had to nerf it, because it made speed running the game too easy. And I mean, like in general, I would say the Nintendo 64 version outside of the outside of the graphics um, is far superior in every way
0: i am going to disagree with matt here um the changes they made to the boss fights never particularly bothered me and of course i love swimming faster as zora link in the n64 version but uh you know it's a trade-off i'm willing to make um in exchange for some of the other advancements that and, and like modifications that the 3ds version gets of course as matt mentioned the graphics are one of those the graphics are better they look great um that's a nice thing to have but one of the things that the 3DS version really has over the N64 version is a better organizing system for keeping track of your side quests and in Majora's Mask that's such a big part of the game schedules of characters when events are supposed to happen in the N64 version of the game those were mostly up to you to remember there was a little bit of a side quest uh, tracking screen in the form of the bombers notebook, but it wasn't great in the three DS version. You get an item that, uh, is, is really a lot. It makes it a lot easier to keep track of all the different little side quests that you're taking part, um, in, in any given day of the game or any, any given three day cycle of the game. And that's what the entirety of the game is. It all operates on a three day cycle and events happen at the same time uh, during those three days, every time you reset the cycle. So, um, anywho, it it involves a lot of keeping track of all of that. And that's much easier to do in the three DS version. So I I think that in and of itself is, um, is kind of is worth playing that version over the N64 version.
1: Well, there you go, Mark, no uh, consensus whatsoever, uh, play as you will.
0: Yeah. yeah, play the 3DS version because it's probably easier for you to get a hold of a Well, copy. That's, that's for sure. If you, if you
1: have a Nintendo 64 and have Majora's Mask on Nintendo 64, go for it. But if you don't have either one of those things, good luck finding it for a fair price. It's a great game regardless of where you play it. So. Uh, agreed. Yeah.
0: Um... Yeah, I think that's all I have to say on that. Thanks for writing in, Mark. Again, please, if you are sub to our Patreon, do not hesitate to write in listener mail. We love hearing from you. We love talking over the questions that you send us.
1: So keep it coming. <sighs> Matt,
0: it's been a fun time,
1: huh? It's always a fun time, Linda. We talk about Zelda. We drink some whiskey. We just have a good time. How can you not have a good time when doing both of those things together.
0: I certainly don't know, but I'm uh, I'm willing to do it all over again next week. It's uh, it's going to be a fun one getting into the fiery section of the game. And I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm really enjoying my time with this game so far. So I'm I'm very down to continue that journey. Absolutely. That's why we're here. yep, yep. Yep. Guys, if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com/slash sacred and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see got whiskey. We're gonna try that one again. More reviews means that more people see our show, and that makes us very happy. Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Skyward Sword Chapter 3, covering the Elden Volcano and the Earth Temple. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Skyward Sword can be played in its original form on the Wii or Wii U or you can play skyward sword hd on the switch which is what matt and i are doing
1: really there's absolutely no reason to play this game on the wii or the wii u go get a switch get skyward sword on the switch you will never regret it because the switch is the most amazing gaming console of all time
0: yeah i mean yeah i mean you certainly won't regret playing skyward sword on the switch but you really will not regret having a switch it's amazing so do it uh in the meantime may your hearts be full and may your arrows never miss we'll catch you guys next time Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!